Welcome to season two of An Unexpected Launch, a podcast sharing stories of people thriving after an unexpected circumstance. I'm continually amazed by the stories of those who don't give up, who use a challenging life event to propel themselves forward, those who find unexpected gifts of beauty and grace along their journey, and those who use those gifts to change the world around them. Valley is a military wife, a cancer survivor, a mom to two teenagers with hearing loss, an author, and creator of the blog, My Battle Call. She openly shares her family stories concerning navigating the reality of being a military family and raising two children who are striving and thriving. Valley's daughter, Harper, is a 13-year-old who loves sports, skiing, skateboarding, music, and the ocean. She's also an author, and her first book has just been published. It's titled, Now Hear This, Harper Soars With Her Magic Ears. Valley and Harper, welcome to an unexpected launch. Hi there. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for being here. Valley, I'd like to begin with you. Fifteen years ago, you gave birth to your beautiful son, Battle, and several days after his birth, he was diagnosed with severe hearing loss. Can you share what you felt in that moment? Well, he failed the infant hearing screening, and so we didn't think much about it because we had no family history. So it was two weeks later we went back for the more extensive, sophisticated test, which is called an ABR. And then that's when we got the diagnosis and shock was what we felt. I mean, just complete shock. So that was it. Mm -hmm. That moment, um, obviously lots of emotions came Mm -hmm. later, but I can remember it like yesterday, literally like what, what were we just told? And it was a blur and we call it the fog. I, that's the only way I can describe it is, and other parents have, you know, nodded their heads when I say that it's when there's no family history and you have no idea. He's the first person with hearing loss I ever met. So, I mean, we knew nothing about this world, so it was just complete shock. Mm-hmm. So you, in, in a lot of your writing, one of the things that you share is that you stuffed down a lot of the anxiety that you also felt around this. You also did the same when you received your cancer diagnosis. And I think that many of us do this. It's, it's easier to stuff it down than to deal with it. What would it have been like to openly share your deepest worries in that moment? Oh, that's, that's a great question. I, um, I guess partly that's why I write my blog is because I think you think you are alone. You think you're the only one who feels this way. I mean, the cancer and the hearing loss diagnosis were two completely different sets of emotions, um, for different reasons, but I felt ashamed and, and embarrassed that I would feel so sad about this diagnosis. Like it could be so much worse. And so rather than just being able to say it and then move on, I just stuffed it, you know, and thought, 
I really wasn't, um, Hmm. allowed to feel those what feelings. I didn't have permission and there was nobody really, I didn't have a support group of other mothers that could say, yeah, I felt that way. I feel this way. So I felt alone. You know, I, one of the reasons that I have been doing the, this podcast is because so many of us, no matter what our circumstances, in that moment when we're the most anxious, when we're the most scared, we're so afraid to open our mouth and share those feelings for a variety of reasons, some of which you touched upon, and that is isolating. And one of the reasons that I do these shows is I want people to know that they are not alone and it is okay to be vulnerable and to share what you're feeling because that's really when you're able to start um, managing your feelings a little bit better, being able to talk about it, realizing you're not alone, nor are your feelings um, much different from from those who might be in a, in a similar situation. Do you think that there's something that somebody could have done, whether they be your healthcare team or friends or family, or said to you that would have given you that freedom to give voice to your fears? Um, yes, I do. I think it's just a different time now because there's so many more resources that I think people who are getting these diagnoses now have so many places to turn. I mean, even on my own blog, I have a separate support group for parents. So I think the culture has changed. I know an audiologist that I'm good friends with, he teaches sensitivity training to people who make those diagnoses and work with early intervention. So I think the culture has changed when it comes to um, dealing with parents who receive diagnosis. Um, so I'm, no, I don't want to age myself, but I want to say, well, back in our day, there was no, we couldn't Google it. I mean, it really was, I mean, this is 15 years ago, which when it comes to science is, you know, a lot of years. Um, so I think the sensitivity would have been, I understand this must be very difficult to receive this information and it's going to take you time to process, but I also want you to know your child is going to be okay and is going to be able to thrive. However, I can understand this is probably very unexpected and um, it's okay to have those feelings of grief for what is lost and, and fear for the unknown. And, and then I think being introduced to a support group with kids that are older, because we didn't even get to meet kids that were even a couple years older than ours to see. And seeing is believing. And that's mm -hmm. why my kids are put out on display. Mm -hmm. and they're okay with it. They're getting more okay with it now that they realize the impact it's having on other families in a positive way, but it's like, look at these kids. They're just normal kids who have hearing loss, um, and they're doing all the things, and I get so many messages from parents like, 
you're, I see your son plays football. We, I didn't think my kid could play sports, you know, when they have the littles. And I mean, for a new parent that those are the things that go through your mind. Mm -hmm. What limitations will they have? And we never, we never did see it that way. And we did have a lot of very supportive people along the way as well. So we had a mix of both. Mm-hmm. So I think that initial, I mean, I think that initial diagnosis, I think there are way more um, trainings and sensitivity to how you uh, present this information to a family. Like you don't in one breath say, this is what was said to us. Your son has severe hearing loss. He'll probably go to mainstream high school, maybe get hearing aids, maybe be a candidate for a cochlear implant. And I literally was like, wait, what, huh? Cochlear, what? Like, you're talking to people like, this is a foreign language to us. Mm -hmm. And um, needless to say, we went to a different hospital to continue our treatment after that. My husband and I walked out of that appointment and we're like, no, this is not the right fit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I don't know if I answered your question. No, that was that was I think that was absolutely perfect. Thank you for sharing that. You you mentioned that this was a shock and there was no family history of hearing loss. What is the cause of Battle's hearing loss? So they have a syndrome that's caused by it's a genetic mutation that my husband and I together create this this syndrome. So the sibling would have a one in uh, four chance. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're 100%. We laugh about it because we're like, the third would be that poor little hearing child. <laughs> like that, They probably would have been the hearing one. Oh, my And then, goodness. you know, would have felt so left out. Right, exactly. So, Valley, you mentioned earlier just feeling feeling grief. And you you also write about this quite a bit, that, that you did enter a state of grieving after hearing of battles, hearing loss. Can you describe what you were grieving? I think it was, you know, when you're a first-time mom, you have an idea. I mean, every mother feels this way. You have an idea of what it's going to be and what it's going to look like. And then um, you get thrown a curveball like this, and then it becomes not at all like you imagined. And then it was also, I had belonged to this uh, prenatal yoga class because we were living in a remote location. And so I had no family or friends around. So I had made a pretty tight group of friends through and they were all from other places. And uh, we were all having our first babies and uh, I was the first to give birth. And then they, you know, it was like one after the next and it just, their experience looked so easy and so not complicated. They were talking about burping and diaper rash and things that were so mundane. And, and I was schlepping to a hearing loss clinic every week and planning surgeries and speech and all the things that we had to do to ensure the success of our kids. So it just, I think it was just grieving what looked like was so much easier. Mm -hmm. 
And then again, not knowing anyone with hearing loss, so not knowing what the outcome would be, I felt just this enormous sense of responsibility. And I, I still feel that. I mean, I st- that's never going to go away, but I just, uh, when they were that age, we, you know, I literally was their at-home therapist and it just was a tremendous amount of load to carry, mm-hmm. you know, not just, and people would say, well, it's the same, you know, my kid's the same, they have selective hearing, or, you know, we try to, you know, relate and empathize, but it was like, no, it's not the same. If your kid doesn't turn to you, you're not worrying if they can hear you because their device isn't working or there's some kind of connection not being made. It's like, yeah. So I think it was the grief for not being given the opportunity to have a mainstream motherhood experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that our fam, family and our friends and our community, all with the most truest intention of, of wanting to support us, can actually minimize our grief. And I think it comes from a space of not knowing what to say. And I think that we're all guilty of this. And you write about the four words that you hated the most. He will be fine, everybody said to you. Instead of assurances that that battle would be fine, what would have been helpful to you during that initial period of grief? Thank you for bringing that one up because it's still to this day, uh, I cringe. It's a family joke now. We all do it. It's funny. We, it's fine. It's fine. How was your day? It was fine. It was fine. Like we drive each other crazy, like mocking that because it, they all know it bothers me so much. But I think uh, what you wanted to hear, and I knew, I, well, I know now people's intentions weren't bad. And every family member experiences a digestion of the information and their own grief or sadness or whatever they're feeling, worry. So often that just being told it'll be fine is just either one, they can't handle the seriousness of what's going on or they really believe it's going to be fine. Like they're trying to encourage you. But what I would have rather heard was this must be really hard. And we're going to stick by your side and support you. And your child is going to be okay. You're going to do everything possible. and We're going to support you and they're going to be okay. Like you still want to be encouraged, but there's more than just saying it's fine. There's a lot of hard work that's going to go into making that occur. So I think just also being said, we're, being told, you know, we're going to be here by your side to help, I think. And, you know, validating that, yeah, this must be really hard and worse at being told you're doing a really good job. Also, you know, moms particularly don't get a lot of out of girls, but, you know, once in a while, hmm. just being told you're, you know, you're doing great. So I think 
But I do know looking back, it was just people just didn't know how to deal with their own feelings about it or concerns. So I mean, my mom was probably my biggest supporter because she was sad as well. And she was worried, but she also was right there to help and knew how much work it was going to take, but knew it was, you know, she did know it was going to be okay, but it knew it was going to take a lot of work. So. One of the things that, that I think those of us who have suffered with grief, um, I think those around us are, are sometimes uncomfortable with that grief and they're really ready for us to move forward and, you know, move, move beyond the grief and stop grieving. Do you believe that grief ever goes away? think you can't it depends on what you're grieving I think you can move through it it's never gone but I think you can move through it and also I have learned and I know it's so cliche it can be so annoying but I can look back on a lot of the hard things we've gone through and find the blessing I mean in almost every situation I can do that and sometimes it takes over a decade or two to, to find what what the blessing was for that um, hardship. And I wouldn't change any of it. But so, yeah, if you would have asked me uh, maybe 10 years ago, if I could have it be different, would I? I might have said yes. But now, I mean, 100%, I would not change at all who my kids are because they're exactly who they're supposed to be. I know that 100%. I mean, and that perspective is such a gift, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I can't imagine them any other way, and it doesn't mean that I would want something hard. I want to give them something hard or think they deserved something hard. or This wasn't done to them, and that's kind of how we look at it. There's nothing wrong with them. They didn't need to be fixed. This is just who they are. Mm-hmm. And we're so blessed that we were they were born in a time when there was technology available to give them these opportunities. But had there even had there not been and say their implants didn't work successfully or um, they were more visual learners, then they'd be fluent in sign language and they'd still be okay. Like, I just know that. But it took perspective. So grief, I think, um, you know, I lost my dad at a very young age. He was only 50 when he died of cancer. And it doesn't hurt as much. But I, you've, you've, I forget the name of the writer who wrote that about describing grief like ocean waves. Mm-hmm. And how they crash and they come in sets one after the next and you can't get your footing and then... As time goes, then the waves are fewer, the sets are spread out, but you'll still get the giant wave that crashes. And then slowly but surely the waves, the sets come even further and the waves are maybe not quite as taking you under and crashing you Mm -hmm. into the white water and 
and that's how I think, you know, losing my dad will never, I'll never be over it, but I definitely do not get hit with the giant waves nearly as much as maybe the last, maybe that's probably been in the last maybe 15 years. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think it depends on what you're grieving. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, what I've come to feel is that grief just becomes a part of who you are. And it, it changes you in ways that at the time, as you say, they feel so horrible. But when you have some perspective and you look back at what's come because of that grief and being able to find those blessings. But I truly believe that I will always grieve in some aspects. And for me, it's grieving the loss of the family that I thought that I was going to have forever. And I don't, and I, and that's going to be, I, I will never get over that, that but that's okay. Um, it doesn't mean I'm not happy or I'm not moving forward, but it, it's just, I think it just becomes part of who you are. And I think it can become a really beautiful part of who you are. And particularly when you find individuals who embrace the grief that you have and give space to that, it it it, it then feels okay and you feel it, that it's acceptable to still be grieving after five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it may be. And um, I think that's a really powerful lesson that I've learned that I, I didn't have that appreciation before. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think you can find strength in the struggle and grief can fuel you and I don't ever want to sit in the grief and just be stuck but I do I mean my daughter um one of her teammates and classmates was on the the plane that crashed with uh the helicopter with Kobe Bryant Mm. and so we've been dealing with grief in our family through the the eyes of a 13 year old and um, it's been really interesting because I knew not to say I knew how she felt because I lost my dad. I knew that much, but um, it made me rethink grief. And so we talked a lot about feeling it, but also moving through. And that's just the word that always comes to mind is you have to keep, you can't go around it. You can't duck under it. You know, you can't pretend it's not there. You know, you have to move through it. You have to feel it, and and it's on your own timeline. And that's what makes people around you uncomfortable because, you know, they want you just to be over it. <laughs> you know, well, it's been this long. Well, that's might work for your grief or, your, you know, but mm-hmm. each person experiences it so uniquely. Yeah. So I think it does give you also used correctly an empathy that um, is powerful so I and that's one thing about my kids I think is um, they they have empathy towards now they're teenagers they roll their eyes but they do they have empathy for others who have challenges or things they're trying to overcome or you know they root for the underdog I think they just view the world through a different lens because they know, even though they wouldn't want to admit it, they know they've had to overcome. Yeah, absolutely. 
So again, I wouldn't want to take that gift away from them, right? I think it's just a special gift they have. Absolutely. That they wouldn't otherwise have. And, um, and that's where, you know, when you were saying earlier, there's nothing wrong with them. This wasn't done to them. It's, these are the people that they are. And, and all of the beautiful things, when you think about the book that we'll talk about in a little bit, that's come that otherwise never would have come forth. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, we'll talk to Harper about it, but, you know, to have, to be able to be, well, she was 12 at the time, but, you know, to be able to have a story already at your age is pretty amazing. It's remarkable. Yeah. It's I mean, remarkable. I'm not even ready to write my memoir, right? But she can do hers. Yeah. <laughs> because she's got something so unique. Anyways, yeah. So... Can you share a little bit with us what what it was like in the early days of caring for infants and toddlers with hearing loss? And is there are parents who maybe are learning of their their child's diagnosis for the first time? What what might they want to be prepared for? I think first, you know, is um, surround yourself with a team of experts that you trust and that are rooting for you. And then you need to do your research, but then you also have to know what are, you know, what's sound and what's not, because there's so much out there. Um, So reputable experts. And then, you know, there's, in the deaf community, there's options So, and there's people who have very strong feelings about some of them. And we, early on, decided these are the choices we're making for our kids based on the information, based on our family, based on our child individually, and we're going to own it, and this is what we're going to do, and we're going to cancel out all the noise of the people who have an opinion other than what we're doing. And so I think um, for parents need to trust their intuition and their instincts that, that they will know what is best for their child and be open. And we were always open to, to course correct if things weren't working. So I think... like you have to be basically parenting period because I have two kids same syndrome same same hearing devices but they respond very different Mm -hmm. so there's no one size fits all that's my you know one of my taglines and I mean it's it's just true in life but with hearing loss it's there's no one way and there's no two people who would experience it the same so Mm -hmm. it always um when people would try to, very rarely, we were lucky, and even on my blog, very rarely does any anyone come on there criticizing because I just say, we're, I'm telling my story. I'm not telling you you should do it this way because, by the way, if you do it my way, it's not going to be the same anyways. Mm-hmm. So um, I think trust Trust your instincts, though, and know you know your child best and advocate for them and don't take no for an answer. I mean, I 
early on because you're going to run into roadblocks to just keep. And that's exhausting, right, as a mother, as a parent? Absolutely. You know, advocating, there's like, there's a reason they call them warriors, right? Because mm-hmm. it's, sometimes you're sick of fighting, but you have to keep fighting mm-hmm. for what you, to get your child what you know they need. So, and make friends. So we always took the approach with our interventionists, our therapists, the IEP school team, teachers, whoever. I mean, they had a huge team. I went in there with uh, bagels and cream cheese and saying, we're all on the same team. I'm so grateful for you all. Instead of what I see, the other side of that is people ready to go in there and with the gloves on. It's like, you're not going to get very far automatically assuming everyone in that room is against you. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that's down, further down the road, but I think you need to create a solid team. You know, you, you have written a number of different blogs, what you'd like uh, your, the coach to know, what you would like a teacher to know. And I think that that's really powerful and such a great way to start the conversation. And like you're, you're saying, be a team, because that's, that's where the most success is going to come from. And ultimately, everybody wants the same thing. So working together. And, and I think that the thing that your blog also does such a nice job of is creating that community because that is what is so essential, whether it's emotional support, medical support, educational support. That's so critical to have that team. And I think that individuals... When I look at the community that you've create, created on Instagram and Facebook and the things that you're doing, I think is absolutely incredible and so powerful that you've taken this opportunity to to develop this. And that's ultimately where people feel less alone. They feel supported. They can share their fears. And so I love what you're doing. And and I, I encourage individuals to go on to your blog, whether or not you have a child with hearing loss or something else that they might be struggling with. You just, you talk very beautifully just about family and being a mom. And, um, so I've, I've loved getting to know you through your blog. And, um, so I really encourage others too, as well. Thank you. And those resources you're talking about to my coach, to my teacher, I have an ebook, um, that has all those things in it, but, um, the original piece, what I want my teacher to know about my hearing loss, you know, I wrote with my kids to give to their teachers because an IEP is very different than this is, this is who I am as a kid and here's how you can help me. And then it's tangible things like scenarios in there that they're not, a teacher is not going to think about who's not skilled and well-versed because my kids have always gone to mainstream school. So this might be the first person with hearing loss that teacher ever interacts with. And so I knew if my own family members still forget, like for an example, talking to my child from across the room when their back is turned, they're going to miss all, most or all of what you've just said. And then you're going to either perceive it as behavioral or they're not paying attention or whatever, right? And so um, 
that's what we, why we created this. And then I thought, well, this people started asking me for it. And so then I created it into like, it's a nine page document where there's room for people to personalize and there's a hearing aid and a cochlear implant version and they put in their kid's name and picture and all that. And it's been downloaded a couple thousand times now. Hmm. And I'm so happy. Like people will send me their version where they've, you know, personalized it and we would hand it out to all the school staff, not just, I mean, from the cafeteria lady, the custodians, the people who worked at, in the car line, like everybody needs to kind of know. Anyone who's going to come into contact with your kid needs this information because they all want to help. Mm-hmm. Well, I and love I, that you yeah. created all of those resources, and those were the things that you didn't have at at your disposal when you could have used them. And I think it's fantastic that you've you've created those along with your both of your children as well. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm. Um, I'm so bad. I'm so glad I can give back in that way. You know, it's a lot of like what I wish would have been available. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how my um, Facebook and Instagram social communities have evolved into what they are is because it's, well, one, I have a YMCA background and we're all about building communities. I mean, it's just natural for me, but you know, I see the value in intentionally creating a space for people to feel supported and encouraged and also be able to, you know, I don't sugarcoat it. I talk about the hard stuff too, because I think if you don't talk about the hard stuff, people think it's just them. Right. Like one of the hardest things with little infants and toddlers with devices is keeping it on. And I mean, you would not believe how many messages I get. How did you keep the devices on? So I've written about, not about what, you know, cap they wore or what, you know, all the like, like, um, and those sort of things weren't not really available. Now people have Etsy shops with all these things, but I talk about more staying the course and understanding how important it was for them to wear them so that eventually they're going to make the connection that that gives them access and they're going to keep them on. Mm-hmm. So I was, I always bring it back around to focus on the, the goal is not how you actually physically keep it on today because no matter what, that thing's going to come flying off, but it's a non-negotiable. You're going to put it right back on and there's going to be a day the lights are going to go on like light bulb moment. And so that's what I focus on with people. When my middle son was before the age of two, he needed glasses. And when I was reading some of your blogs and also in Harper talks about in her book, throwing her, her um, implant into the gorilla cage. And I remember the biggest challenge for Aiden was keeping his glasses on that, I mean, he'd fling them off and similar to you um, and the repair for the, knowing all the repair folks, all the eyeglasses repair folks knew us because I was in there all the time and they would get to a point where they'd say, I'm sorry, these are beyond repair. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I, that resonated with me. Um, So we talked about this a little bit before, um, but when you were four months pregnant with your daughter, Harper, Harper, 
you had in utero genetic testing conducted. And because as we've talked about, because Battle's uh, hearing loss was due to genetics, you knew the statistics. It was a one in four chance of hearing. And you really focused on that that 25% chance. When you received the call from the genetics expert, you learned that Harper would be born with hearing loss. What did you feel in that moment? Complete disbelief. I don't, now looking back, I think it's so funny that I just focused on that 25% because I, I joke about that there's a reason I studied journalism, not math, because I didn't really, I just wasn't prepared. And I thought, well, what are the odds? Like, you know, that saying, you throw out, well, the odds were one in four. So I just was so surprised. And then, of course, just sad. I was I knew that right the the um, thing I should say is no matter what no matter what it is we'll deal with it it'll be fine it'll be fine we and people would say well at least you know what to expect you've already been through this so it somehow that would just make it easy that we've already <laughs> been through it which I could see the thinking in that but it the thing for me was we have already been through this. So I already know how hard it's going to be. So I'll be well versed and I'll know where to go and I'll know how the things work. And, but I'll, um, I also know how much work it's going to take. And again, not having the opportunity to have that mainstream motherhood experience that I know now doesn't exist anyways. True. I mean, it's just being, you know, First time, this is just being a new mom, period, you know, and having two kids 21 months apart, you know, that's just challenging, period. But, um, and we were preparing for my son's first implant surgery. It was like two days after we got the diagnosis. So it was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. So sending a little baby to, into surgery, also now knowing we were going to be doing this all over again. I was mad. I, I was mad. But now, again, with the siblings, I think it, it's exactly how it was supposed to be because they have someone in this house that completely understands. You know, they have their own language. They're, you know, I think, you know, their love-hate relationship, but, you know, they're pretty close. And I think that will carry through probably their entire lives because they just, they, I'll, I'll listen to them talking about, you know, it's just their insight. They have an insight that's different mm -hmm. than, you know, hearing people can relate to. Mm -hmm. So we, and it was good for us to get that diagnosis while I was pregnant because I, because I didn't expect to be so sad about it. So it gave me time to deal with it. And so by the time she was born, you know, I had kind of processed it. Mm -hmm. What, what would you say your biggest fear was upon learning that uh, Harper would also be born with hearing loss? I think in the early days, it's, we didn't know would they be able to develop speech and language. Um, 
keeping those devices on was exhausting. I mean, you have picture an infant with hearing aids and Harper writes about it in the book, right? The fine motor skills. Hers developed very young. And so most parents would be all braggadocious about, oh, the fine I was like, no, no, this is not a good thing. So, I mean, a lot of it was just the logistics of it. So many appointments and then keeping those devices on. Mm-hmm. was, I mean, during all waking hours, it was all, I mean, you had to keep your eyes on them. I mean, just imagine. So what I tell people now who are going through the exact same thing is I would say, give your self hearing aid or implant timeouts where you just, you set them up on the counter and give yourself a break for 20 minutes hmm. that you don't have to keep your eyes on your kids' hands. I, I would that. do that. I, I, I discovered that once Harper was a baby and battle was a toddler and I'm trying to cook dinner and I had her in her little bouncy seat up on the counter and he was running around and she kept taking them off and putting them in her mouth. And I, I just, that's it. I just took them and I set them like, I'm having a hearing aid timeout. I am. So I'm going to turn around and cook dinner and not keep looking at your little hand, your little naughty hands. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I quit feeling guilty about that. I mean, they were be very quick, short, but I knew in the grand scheme, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. 20 minutes and it's, you know, whatever. Grace, you need to give grace. Absolutely. Absolutely. We all need a little bit of a break here and there. <laughs> what what do you most want family or friends to know about Battle and Harper? I would want them to know that they are resilient and adaptable and thriving. However, that has not come without a lot of hard work. They work harder than their hearing peers to to learn, to socialize, to play sports. Their brain has to work so much harder so that they haven't grown out of hearing loss. They've adapted so well that people forget. And that's kind of a message I like to remind people, family, friends. Um, I love that so many people who know us follow my blog too because they've learned so, I used to not like it, But now I realize it's been such a blessing because they've learned so much about hearing loss. In fact, Harper was in a friend's car and her mom follows me online and her mom thought to turn the radio down in the car because she's like, well, I thought about the background noise and that would be really hard for Harper. And like, that is so thoughtful of you. And And Harper said, no, it's fine. Like she's, Harper said, no, it's fine, but she probably, you know, it probably did make it more enjoyable for her to actually not be struggling to hear. So 
I think it's both. It's they're good kids. They're good people. And they are thriving, I guess that's, but not without working really hard to do so. And I think, you know, if you want to really, you know, get under my skin, you, you, you minimize it to say they just matured or mm-hmm. yeah, no, they've just learned to adapt so incredibly well. So I'm proud of that. And being military kids too, you know, it's a different lifestyle. It's a lot of change and a lot, you you know, you're forced to deal with a lot of unexpected, you know, have a plan and then watch the military change that real quick. <laughs> yeah, adaptability is key. Yeah, it really is. And, it, and also, and I... I've said this about everybody talks about how resilient military kids are. And I'm like, that's not really true. There's a lot of kids that deal with this lifestyle that don't, it doesn't suit them. Mm -hmm. They struggle. So just simply being born into a military family does not make you automatically suited for this lifestyle. So, Mm -hmm. and that's a lot about, you know, parenting each kid, based on the kind of kid that they are. And, you know, you might have one that's into the adventure and the, the thrill of it all, the change. And then you might have one that thrives in routine and predictability. So um, you have to figure out how to navigate that. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm describing my kids, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Valley, as you were navigating um, caring for two children with hearing loss and 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 working through your grief and sense of loss what was it that gave you strength praying for sure giving it up knowing that this is not my plan and then having to really believe it you know again that that went in intervals kind of for me. There would be times I completely believed it. And then there were times I would question. And I think again, finding purpose. I mean, I would have never ever as a young journalist have thought I'd be writing about my children's hearing loss experience and how I've become an advocate. And I would, you know, I so that, again, it's finding what's the blessing and serving others to me has always been, again, I told you I worked for the YMCA and my dad was a man of service and my mom was an intensive care nurse. So there's a lot of people who gave me the example of giving back and this is like my ministry. So you mentioned your background in journalism and and you did work for a magazine after you graduated from from college. However, life happened and you put down your pen. But at at, at one point, your your friends encouraged you to begin writing. What did it feel when you first hit that publish button? Well, I had written... I, I believe now see this is seeming so long ago but I these were my two best friends from childhood we're still best friends since fifth grade we've been 
besties, no matter where we've lived across the country and through marriages and divorces and deaths and you name it. Um, and they've always told me I should write a book and, you know, yada, yada. And so I had started writing my blog because we had come through some real hard stuff to the other side. And so they were, we were experiencing these like many victories, but taking them for granted and not remembering how far we had come. And I, I did not want to forget where we started because we were starting to not appreciate how far we'd come. And so I wrote my first piece because I didn't want to forget Hmm. a moment. And then I wrote a couple more. And then I had a girls weekend with them. And that's when they said, you need to do this. I think you really need to do this. You have a story and And so when I did hit publish, I don't think I really thought anyone would read it because I was a journalist in, I wrote in a magazine that was like actual, you know, on the newsstands, not online. So, um, you know, what is a Facebook page, you know, like nobody reads that stuff. So I, I don't think I really thought that far ahead. How would you say that writing has shaped your journey? Well, here's something that recently happened that was very um, surprising for me. I got asked to be a keynote speaker at a a parent, um, parents of hearing loss and professional collaborative. And I was closing the show. And he wanted me just to share our uh, family's journey of resiliency is what he called it. And so I put off writing the speech. My husband's the speech writer in our family. He he gives speeches all over the place. He's so good at it. And I'm like, this is not really my wheelhouse. I mean, I've done public speaking, but not in this way, not this story. So I put off because you know once you sit down to write it you're not it's like writing that term paper you're not getting up till it's done you know there's a lot of work ahead of you so I finally sat down and I had outlined kind of the stories I wanted to tell but it wasn't until I sat down to my blog and I went and pulled those stories and I copied and pasted them in and then I just read through it and I realized the themes the messaging, the journey, it was all there. I mean, it was, I said to my husband, well, you know, you're always working to get that metaphor, you know, Henry V, and I mean, his speeches are really good. Like, there's always some kind of, you know, theme that weaves through. I go, I already have a theme. I don't even have to create it. You know, ours is navigating through the fog, hmm. you know, and, and finding the light. And how it gets less dense. And I mean, all the things, it was all there. And I think I was even surprised by that because 
I have a voice, a very strong voice. And I always was told that by my uh, people who've supported my writing, like in college and stuff, people who, you know, encouraged me to do this. But I, it was the first time I really saw my own voice was when I was going to read it aloud. So hmm. that was pretty cool. I love that. Yeah. So what, what, where did you turn to for inspiration and hope, especially in the early days when you were in that fog? What, what kept you inspired to look for that light? I think I just saw no other option because I knew, I knew I was going to be a mother who would do anything for my kids and I wanted to raise good humans and I wanted to raise happy kids. And I, my husband laughs at me, but I joy having joy in our home is very important to me. Like maybe because that's the kind of family I grew up with. Well, of course it is because yeah. Um, and so I think it just, we rolled our sleeves up and did what we had to do. I don't think I had a lot of external places to turn. I mean, I had good family, you know, family support and friends. A lot of my friends just even now have read my blogs and those same two best friends who encouraged me to do it said they had no idea how some through, you know, the hard we were living through. And often because we were in the military, we were moving a lot. So, you know, even when we would have a close group of friends geographically we'd be moving so in every spot I'd make a little circle but then it you know it was temporary because we were moving on so um, I can't really say I had a, a huge external place to turn for that light mm -hmm. I think it I think it came a lot of it came from within and then again you know giving it up praying mm-hmm just believing there had to be, there has to be a reason for all of this. So one of the things that you've, you've come back to a couple of times is recognizing all of the blessings. What would you say are some of the biggest gifts that have come from Battle and Harper's hearing loss? Personally, the blessings that I've experienced, mm -hmm. I would say how I speak to other parents is shaped by being faced to deal with this and how I had hoped and wished that people would have done for me. I think realizing how it's a miracle for a child to be born and not have something invisible or not that challenges them. I mean, I think there's no such thing. I think now I know that, but you know, a diagnosis of anything out of the ordinary, I think I just have so much more compassion and empathy and I do root for the underdog and I'll be the one, you know, when I would volunteer in the kid's classroom, I'm the one that's going to go and want to be next to the kid that, you know, 
maybe it's, it's obvious they're struggling with something mm-hmm. and or whatever. I don't know. I that's probably been just how it shaped me as a person. Mm-hmm. And just also knowing there is no one way, I think, is, you know, when you're young and you think it's my way and, you know, this is the only way, and um, just realizing there's not. You have to know, trust your intuition and um, know that you know your kids best. What is your greatest hope? Well, today I would say I want my kids to be happy and serve. I I want them to be, I want them to learn what they're, true talents are and what they can how they can use those in the world if they could find that sooner than later that'd be awesome like uh i think that's such a gift when people discover it young but uh, just being open to not being put in a box and but joyful Happy is not the right word. Joyful. To find joy. And to find, you know, my dad was the kind of guy who would see the beauty in every sunset. Every Monday night football game was the best game. I mean, and I do the same. It's, I get, you know, my, every, they make fun of me. This is my favorite. Everything's my favorite. Wait, I thought this was your... Yeah, it is, but, you know, I, you know, it's um, just looking at life with gusto... And just not in the mundane, you know, the magic in the mundane. I really believe that. So I hope that my kids get some of that. I love that. Harper, I absolutely love your book. And I tuned into your Facebook Live when you were reading it and just loved hearing you read it aloud. How did you decide to write a book? Um, well, it was kind of like my mom's idea a little bit, but then also, um, in fourth grade, we had these journals that we would write for school, and one of the prompts was, what makes you unique, and I kind of wrote this whole thing, like, I'm deaf, and, like, but I'm also, like, normal at the same time, and my mom saw that at the end of the year. And she, she had, she, I guess she was like contemplating, like she wanted to write a book, but then she saw the prompt and then she decided that that was going to be the book that we were going to write. And then it kind of just started from there. I love that. What was it like to write a book with your mom? It was fun. It was also hard because we have to work together and... We're both opinionated people. So I have to ask you what it felt like to hold the book with your name as an author for the very first time. It was weird. It like, 
it didn't feel like it was actually happening because it's been in the works for so long. It's been like a couple years and then it's just there and it's, it's like, wow, we actually like did it. Like we actually finished it. Like I thought we were never going to finish it. Like <laughs> it, we finished it. It was nice. Oh, it's fantastic. What did you learn while you were just going through this process of writing a book? Um, patience. <laughs> it doesn't, like, come easily. Like, first writing the manuscript and then editing it, we went through a long process of editing. And then, like, getting the getting an artist and then doing all the illustrations and editing those and then getting the layout and then producing it. it took a long time. So definitely patience and working together with people. Mm-hmm. So do you think after going through this process, would you write another book? Possibly. <laughs> I tried to talk her into while we're, you know, quarantined here to write our next one, but she's not motivated. Well, I don't know what, what we need like to have a good story. We're going to do Harper the middle school years. Ooh. There's nothing like that. <laughs> There's not, but yeah, maybe we just need to enjoy this, the process of just having a new release book. I love it. Well, congratulations. It's absolutely fantastic. Thank you. So, Harper, can you tell us a little bit about the devices that you use for your hearing loss? So, my cochlear implant, which is this one, basically, well, it's in, there's like another, I don't know how to explain it. There's like another half of it that's kind of like inside my head. And so, it's implanted. And that basically just creates the sound for me because in my right ear I don't have any hearing at all and then in my left ear the hearing aid just basically amplifies everything that I can hear and yeah I don't really know the science of it though probably probably pretty technical huh yeah so you mentioned that you use a, a cochlear implant and a hearing aid are there other types of devices that, that kids might be be using? Yeah, well there's different there's different brands of implants and hearing aids and then there's bone conductors, which is like I don't know, but like what is the actual piece? It's a magnet. It's like a magnet that goes here and then it basically just for people who like the outer part of their ear doesn't work with the inner part of the ear works fine so it basically just uses the vibrations to like send a signal to their inner ear that the sound is there it's like traveling through and then I guess they can hear through that that's also kind of confusing and then there's like sign language but that's not like device so that's like a different language and do you also know sign language I used to be fluent in preschool and then I forgot it all, kind of, because I didn't have to use it anymore. Right. That makes that makes perfect sense. <laughs> so what would you say to a child 
who wonders if if his or her hearing loss will prevent him from participating and excelling in activities like sports or school? Um, that it never really interferes that much. Like, of course, like for sports, it might be harder to hear your coach because you're like running around and like, especially the basketball gyms, like the gyms are loud. And then like school will just have to like sit at the front of the classroom, but that's not going to affect anything. You just have to accommodate to it barely. So, going to be all right. I love that. And what would you say to teenagers or maybe your friends? What would you want them to know what it's like to live with hearing loss? That it's not, that it hasn't, like, sought me at all, obviously. But when people ask me what it's like to not be able to hear, I kind of say, imagine, like, when when it's when they're off when they're not working that all of a sudden everybody around you starts speaking a different language and only like 12 like 10 percent of those words are english that they're speaking and it's like imagine if they just did that and you couldn't control it and it's like it's really annoying but then sometimes when it starts working they're speaking English again and you can hear like 80% of what they're saying Hmm. and then the other 20% is kind of you can guess what they're saying so that's what I've told people when they ask me what it's like well I guess yeah I've never heard her use that analogy that's very interesting that's cool it really it does it really helps to put into perspective how how challenging that would be and how much you have to really pay attention to to hear what the what they're saying yeah and like if my back's turned or something or yeah if my back's turned and I'm not facing them it's hard for me to tell where sound's coming from so somebody will be like yelling my name and I'll be like spinning in circles and like I have no idea where they are so it's much easier when you're able to see people face to face and see their mouth yeah. I lip read too. You lip read as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Harper, I'm sure there are days that you feel frustrated. What helps you to feel better on those days? Um, I don't really get frustrated. I just get annoyed. But get that frustrated unless like if I'm frustrated with a person because they're not like helping me out with like facing me or something I'll tell them like I've done that before like telling them just like straight up I need you to like speak louder look at me when you speak don't be like walking in circles or looking around like I need that extra input kind of. Well, I think that's fantastic that you're able to tell people what you need. That's an incredible gift and a talent that not everybody has. You should feel really proud to be able to to ask for what you need. So I think that at, throughout life, 
many of us have challenges, and I believe that challenges bring bring gifts or blessings. What gifts do you think have come into your life because of your hearing loss? Um, I guess being more understanding of people, because I guess we're quick to judge. Like, you don't know what could be going on with some, someone else's situation. Just, I, I don't know, just being understanding of people that actually have to... I mean, I feel like I have it kind of easy. There's some people who probably can't... They probably have, like, a harder time than I do, and that's... I feel lucky, I guess. Well, I have to say that you are incredibly inspiring to me. I'm, I I love to write, and I have thought about writing a book, but I never have done it. And so seeing you do this at, at, as a teenager is incredibly inspiring to me, and I'm so appreciative of you sharing with me. Before we close out, um, both Valley and Harper, is there anything that you would like listeners to know that, we, that I haven't asked either one of you? Well, I would say when I, regarding our book, it's always been my dream to have it on every nightstand. Harper can roll her eyes at me, but on every nightstand of every child who has hearing loss and their friends and their family. And then next, any child who has anything, again, any challenge they're dealing with. But secondly, I want it in every school library and every classroom. And we've kind of got momentum with that happening, which is, I mean, so thrilling to see teachers are inviting us into their classrooms to read it aloud and teachers sharing it with their classes and people bought it for their libraries. And I think it's not just for kids with hearing loss. It's about celebrating differences but also the power of inclusion and stories about kids that have differences either visually or not you know I think kids need to be able to see themselves in books and on the screen and hopefully this contributes to that I think you know giving kids we've had parents saying my daughter opened it up and it's like there's me that's me I'm Harper. This little five-year-old sent us a video message. Her mom now, she now goes by Harper Nova is her name now. And she carries a basketball around. She's five. So I think, um, you know, I could go on and on about this book. As as you've learned, I can talk forever about this book. I just think it's so valuable in what it, it can teach kids. And we're just thrilled with the response. So, Harper, I have to ask you, what does it feel like to hear that children are are wanting to be called Harper and carrying around a basketball just like you do? It's weird. It's really weird. I don't honestly. It's like, I don't know. Like, it's cool that they, like, look up to me, but, like, 
it's weird because it's me. It's like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I think with that comes responsibility. Like, I don't do anything dumb now. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Got you. <laughs> well, tell her what um, what you did yesterday with mm-hmm. with that ten year old girl. What? Oh, um, what's there to say? I was like on face. Oh wait, I remember now. So this girl, um, she she's ten, and her school they had to do a project on a book character that they see themselves in, and then this she's a girl who has a cochlear implant on her I think right side. I think um, she did me, and she had questions and she actually interviewed me for school and that was weird because like I guess I'm a book character now (laughs) (laughs) it was pretty cute that's pretty awesome yeah that was pretty neat so so I know that that folks can get the book on Amazon you have a link on your blog my battle call are there other resources or places for folks to get the book? On the Barnes and Noble website, not store. We're not in the store yet. Yeah, yeah, it's on. It's available in a lot of different places. Apple Books, but Amazon and Barnes and Noble are the two big ones. And then my website has the link to the book too. And again, the title is Harper. Do you want to sh- remind everybody what the title is? Now hear this Harper Soars with Her Magic Ears by Valley and Harper Gideons, illustrated by Priscilla Soars. <laughs> Good job. I one love time, it. One time on the cover reveal for the title, I said the title wrong. Mom, she she kept contemplating between the title. She's like, this is the title. No, this is and she would keep going back. Yeah. <laughs> Titling the book was harder than writing the book. <laughs> Titles are not easy. So I think we came up with the perfect one. I love it. I absolutely love it. And I have loved talking with you both, Valley and Harper. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me today. I, I absolutely loved it. No problem. Thank you for having us. Appreciate the work you do. Oh, thank you. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to the Unexpected Launch podcast. Thank you to Duncan Music Project, who produced this episode and composed the music.